Well, I would encourage you, um, we'll go ahead and grab a copy of the scriptures, turn to Psalm 1 and Psalm 2. And I would encourage you these summer months as we begin a series in the Psalms, Psalms for the Summer, the Psalms for the Summer are going to be a really good series and an opportunity for you to wrestle with some of life's most difficult questions. And it's going to be a really good series, I think, for the skeptic, for the seeker, for the dry and struggling Christian. The Psalms, I think, will prove in many ways uh, to serve everyone here. So invite your neighbors and your friends. Invite people in your life that may be asking big questions of the world that they live in. And Lord willing, this summer, we'll see that God has answers for our questions. Well, it is good. It is good to worship with you, brothers and sisters. And as I said, we begin our series, Psalms for the Summer, by asking this question. Where, (laughs) where, where is blessing found? This question, or something like it, is what everyone in this room ultimately is after. And so are the people around you. How can I be happy? How can I not hurt? How can I rest? How can I have joy? This question belongs to the Christian, to the atheist, To the searching agnostic, this question belongs to the bored teenager and the lonely grandmother. Our lives, our movies, and even even our songs reveal this question. I'll prove it. The Rolling Stones. I can't get no satisfaction. And I've tried. Chris Stapleton. I've looked for love in all the same old places, found the bottom of the bottles always dry. 21 pilots, who can save my heavy, dirty soul from me? Where is blessing found? That's not just our question, is it? That's the question of the world. And in God's kindness, he's provided us a songbook. Israel's songbook called the Psalms. The Psalms are a collection of ancient songs that record the very real and raw questions of life as they intersect with a life of faith. The Psalms put to words the questions of our heart, and they reveal the very character and the work of God. The Psalms are robust in their theology as well. They cover topics and teachings of sin and salvation, God's rescue, grace, judgment, forgiveness, God's promises, and yes, the source of blessing in life. If you haven't already, please grab a copy of the scriptures and turn to Psalm 1 and 2. We'll be considering them as an opening unit a pair of songs that serve as an introduction to the Psalter as a whole, all 150 of them. And these pair of songs provide wisdom to us as we seek blessing and happiness in the life that God has given us. 
Psalm 1 begins with blessing, and Psalm 2 concludes with blessing. Bookends to our question. And my main point this morning is simply this. We find true happiness, true blessing in Christ. Now, I'll confess, I feel my younger self rolling my eyes already. Because it all sounds so cliche. And maybe you're willing to sit and have a cliche moment on a Sunday morning because that's what we do. We come and we wear nice clothes and we say cliche Christian things. But true happiness in Christ? Really? Here's the reason we all need to hear this. We have all walked the road of seeking blessing and joy and satisfaction in life, apart from Christ. We've walked that road. And if you haven't walked this road yet, you're likely considering it. In fact, we consider it every day, don't we? We have lived for ourselves. We have chosen our own way. We have sought temporary delights and highs. And each of us have discovered brief moments of bliss And some of those moments of bliss may last longer than others, but we all come to the same conclusion. I need something lasting, something full, something complete. The writer C.S. Lewis once said, If I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy... The only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. Psalm 1 and 2 give us a window into that world. Would you read them with me, please? Starting in Psalm 1, the psalmist writes, Blessed is the man who walks, not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. And its leaf does not wither. In all he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me... I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. 
I will tell of the decree the Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I've begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest He be angry and you perish in the way. For His wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in Him. Well, consider with me the two outcomes of life. First, the emptiness. The emptiness of self. Our two songs, Psalm 1 and 2, lay out for us what an empty self and an empty life looks like. And there's a few words I'd like to point out to you in our text that we read. The first word I'd point out in the text is this word chaff, found in Psalm 1-4. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. See, in contrast to the full life we will consider in a moment, the wicked, the empty of soul, are described as chaff. If you're unfamiliar, chaff is that word often used to describe old husks of corn, chopped hay and straw, or even describing just something that is worthless. Here's how one writer describes the situation in Psalm 1. Chaff, driven by the wind, is the closest description of nothing that is available to the imagination. No weight, meaning, or use. Without meaning and responsibility, the wicked have no existence to speak of at all. Does chaff exist? It is the dried up husk of something that once bloomed, that once bore fruit and brighten the landscape. These wicked are far from what they have been created to be. They are now at the mercy of breezes and winds. No roots and no life. There is nothing to them, defined now only by what they are not. The men and women we started out with who made such a display of walking and standing and sitting are now, when it matters, unable to do any of that, totally without substance and strength. The terrifying conclusion to the life of the wicked, the sinner, and the scoffer is the complete inability to be anything. Chaff has the inability to be anything, the writer says. So perhaps, perhaps we too have felt dried up. We too are the previous bloom of something, some kind of life, but now thrown by the wind with no grounding. How did we get here? How did it come to this? Things seemed so promising at one point. Your chaffiness, if that is such a thing, is actually deeply, deeply spiritual. 
Psalm 1-4 is the spiritual condition we all find ourselves in naturally. We naturally have a life centered on self, a life that brings emptiness, a life that at its core is deeply flawed and even wicked. We can make the argument that any life that is chaff is wicked. It's wicked not just because we do bad things, sin, but it's wicked because it's the exact opposite to the life that you and I were created to live. We were meant to live in the fullness of God. We were meant to live not thrown around by the wind, but rooted and grounded in life by love. We were meant to bloom and thrive in life, not shrivel up and die. The chaff Empty life for self is wicked because it's so contrary to what is good, pure, and God's true design for your life. But our wickedness isn't just seen in our hollow souls. It's seen in another word. Look again at Psalm 2, verse 1. Rage. Why do the nations rage? This is an interesting word, rage. You may have a translation that says the nations uproar. The nations are angry or conspiring or even restless. Essentially, the wicked are described not just as empty souls, chaff, but they're described as complaining. And not just complaining, but setting themselves against God, plotting and scheming to get their own way, their own plan, their own preference, which they unaware, which they are unaware, will only lead to chaff. But what brings about these angry voices? I would imagine it's the same thing that makes you and I angry. Someone or something getting in the way of our plans, our dreams, and our expectations. Can I ask you a question? Are you angry? Do you have wicked rage in your heart? Have you been leading an empty life in which it's all about you? Have you been plotting to obtain your best life now? Has how God has led in your life not met your careful plans? Can we admit that we often walk this path? And for some of us, it's a very worn path that we've chosen to walk down many times. A path focused on self. A path that proves empty and unsatisfying again and again and again. A path in which we are quick to voice our displeasure in our lack of contentment. This too is a wicked life. Wicked in how self-seeking it is. Wicked in how ungrateful we can be with the cards that we've been dealt in life. Wicked because our complaining, our raging, our plotting, whether it's about the weather or the color of the carpet in our church, all of it is ultimately against the Lord. 
The life of emptiness, it is chaff. It is nothing. It does blow in the wind. And the empty life is one which is marked by rage and complaining. But, but there's another word for this empty life, and it's that word wrath. Now, this may not be a word we enjoy hearing, but we can't ignore the implications of an empty, raging, angry, discontent life. The consequence of choosing this path is wrath and judgment. Look again at Psalm 1, 5 and 6. These verses make clear that these wicked ones will fold. They will bend the knee on the day of judgment. They will perish. Their proud, angry ways will not last. Ultimately, it will give away, if not in this life, certainly in the next life. But notice again Psalm 2, 4 through 6. The Lord sees and hears our raging. He sees our plans to live self-sufficient lives apart from Him, dictating our own ways and our own preferences. And verse 4 says, He sees and He laughs at this. He will speak to these wicked hearts in wrath. He will point to His Son, the God-man, Jesus, as being the true King of their life. We will stand before this king at the end of our days to give an account, to stand, to be judged for the path that we've chosen to pursue. Look again at Psalm 2, verse 12. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. We are told the Son has wrath and judgment that is quickly kindled. But, but why? Why is His wrath quickly kindled? Is it because this King is ill-tempered? Is it because Jesus has an axe to grind? Well, no. No, rather it's because our wicked living, our empty raging in our lives has been an attack on humanity. An attack on humanity made in the image of God. Again, our hollow, selfish lives are contrary to God's design. It's a deliberate decision that we have to consider God's ways, to consider God's design, and then to thumb our nose at it. To look at God's way and say, no thanks, what you've designed and provided is not enough. And not only is it not enough, I'm going to rage and plot against you with my life. That's why we're judged. We're judged because we dare to spit in the face of God and go our own way. Perhaps this has been your path more than once. Perhaps you are on this path right now. But is this the only path? Is this the only way? Is judgment our only option? Yes, there is grace. So no matter if you've walked this empty path your whole life, there is grace for you in the gospel of Christ here today. 
Because consider with me, not the path of emptiness and self, not the path of chaffiness in which you're blown away. You used to be the bloom of something so much sweeter. You used to have life, but now you've shriveled and died. But consider the better path, the fullness, not the empty life, the fullness of another In contrast to the emptiness of self, we have the fullness, the way of fullness. Fullness that is not found in ourselves. You will not find a full life by looking inside of you. I don't care what Disney keeps telling you and your kids, you will not find fullness when you look there. But we find fullness when we live for someone else. We find fullness. We find blessing and joy and true happiness in Christ. Well, I want us to look again at three words. And this first word is in Psalm 1-3. Look again. He is like a tree planted, planted by streams of water. The blessed and happy man or woman is one that is like a tree planted by streams of water, the psalmist says. This is the appropriate place to start in the life of blessing. Because the life of blessing is not a self-made life. No one here achieves blessing and happiness by their careful planning or their moral living. Let me say that again. You will not achieve blessing in life the fullness of life, you will not achieve it by your careful planning or your moral living. If you are moral, you will not find blessing. A tree, a blessed individual, does not plant themselves. They do not change their own hearts through the living waters of Christ. It is the supernatural, God-initiated work of grace in their lives. It cannot be purchased, this life of blessing, being planted. It cannot be purchased by your tithes and offerings. It cannot be purchased by your church attendance, by your baptism, by taking communion today. It cannot be purchased by living a religious kind of moral life in comparison to the people around you. A blessed life is one that is planted. We call this the good news of Jesus. And it echoes the teachings of Paul in Ephesians 2. Whether we were looking moral or brazenly raging and openly choosing every sin under the sun, our condition was the same. Moral or immoral, we were dead. We were enslaved to self, sin, the world, and even evil itself, Paul said. Here's what Paul says in Ephesians 2. But, yeah, but all those things, you were dead, moral, immoral, slave to self, sin, and the world. But God being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even 
Even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works. So that no one can boast. Jesus, the God-man, came to earth over 2,000 years ago to live the life that you and I never could. His life wasn't chaff. He didn't rage. He perfectly followed, obeyed, and loved the Father. And Jesus took that life and he exchanged it. He cashed it in by dying on the cross in the place of sinners. His death secured the payment for our sinful, raging life, granting us forgiveness if we believe and trust in Him. His resurrection to new life is offered to you and to I through faith. We too will be renewed, resurrected, and changed starting now. This is how we are planted. God reaches down and changes us and grows us and begins our life of blessing here and now as we are like a tree planted by nourishing streams of living water in Christ. And as verse 3 tells us, we may not produce fruit all year round. Did you see that in verse 3? He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields fruit every single day of their Christian life. Uh, no, my, my version says, and it yields fruit in its season. Are you a faithful follower of Christ who has seen no fruit in this season? Do you feel dry and malnourished? Do you wonder if you're even saved? Do you wonder if God is real and he sees your circumstance? Take great courage, my friend. Psalm 1-3 says that the Christian life, the life of a faithful follower, is not manufactured by your performance. But a life of a faithful follower is planted And you will produce fruit in its season. So if, like me, maybe it's been a dry week, or a dry month, or a dry year, take courage. You will produce fruit in season. You will not wither, verse 3 says. You will prosper. You will have life. And we will have blessings. Because we have been planted. Because we have been planted and granted life in Christ. Praise God. I love that verse. But go back one verse with me and look at Psalm 1-2. In this word, meditate. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. Contrary to those who would walk, stand, and sit with the wicked, the sinners, and the scoffers of verse 1, the life of blessing and happiness is one that delights and meditates on the law, the teaching, and the revelation of the character of God. Faithful followers of Christ delight 
They delight in the law of God. Why? Why would you and I delight in reading God's word? Not because it gives us information about life's questions. Nope, that's not why we delight. Not because they have scripture and information and it gives us a moral high ground over an unbelieving world. Nope, that's, that's not why we delight in God's word. We don't even delight in God's word because it tells us how to live the life of blessing. Why do we delight? We delight, we meditate, we chew on God's word because it shows us him. God has given us his word to reveal himself. That is why we delight. We are ultimately to delight in him. The path to a blessed life is found in the fullness of another. It's found in him. He's given you his spirits by faith. He's given you his word so that you would know him and be with him. So we delight in his word because you get Christ. You get a savior. And that word meditate may mean something opposite to what you have in mind. We often think of meditation in Eastern terms. An emptying of the mind, a thinking of nothing. Just a quiet and peaceful mind. But here's how Isaiah uses that same word meditate in Isaiah 31.4. As a lion or young lion growls over its prey. Growls, same word as meditate. The word growl is like the word chewing. Just as a lion chews and growls over its prey, we, we meditate and chew and dwell on God's word. It's not an emptying of our mind. Our meditation is not a forgetting, but a careful consideration of its implication on our lives as we look to the character of God. If you struggle reading the Bible, let me give you just this one help that just served me well for years. Ask one question as you read the scriptures, wherever you find yourself. What does this passage show me of God's character? And if that's the only question you get to, if that's the only thing you meditate on and chew on that day, you will be served well because God has given you this word to know him. So can I encourage and challenge you to live the blessed life? To meditate, to seek out God's word, to know him more deeply, to love him more fervently, and to follow him more faithfully. And this is a confession. I'm quick to run everywhere for blessing, except the one place God promises to give it to me. I'm quick to run to everything except the source, the word of God that provides me intimacy with the one who gives full joy. And I know I'm not the only one here. God, help us to turn to the words of life. They truly will satisfy because they bring us to him. 
So pick up and read the word of God this week. You will see fullness. You will see blessing. Well, there's this third and final word. The blessed life is a full life. A full life as we're planted. We're planted in this life by Christ and his gospel. A full life as we meditate on his word so we can intimately know him. And a full life as we worship. Again, and we've talked about this recently. When we say worship, we don't mean singing. But we mean the all-encompassing Romans 12. My whole life is an act of worship. My whole life raises high the name of Jesus. My whole life shows him honor. Whether I eat or I drink or I watch the NBA finals tonight, I do all to the glory of God. So worship. And we don't worship ourselves, but the, the Son. Look again at verse 12 of chapter 2. The psalmist writes, Kiss the Son. Kiss the Son, lest He be angry and you perish in the way. For His wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed. Just how Psalm 1 started. Blessed are all who take refuge in Him. The idea of kissing a king is a foreign concept to our American minds. Unless you've watched some medieval movies of late, we don't normally connect kissing with honor. But we do do this in our relationships. When I kiss my wife, that does show honor. When you kiss your mother, when you kiss your child, or you lay one on the cheek of your good friend, you are expressing affection and honor, worship. Kissing the son in verse 12 is shorthand for showing honor and worth to the king of the universe, the savior that died and rose again to bring full lives of blessing to every man, every woman, and every child here. Verse 12 is the concluding bookend to the happy and blessed life. A life of worship, a life of taking refuge in the Savior of the universe. So can I encourage you this week to tangibly, not just on a Sunday, but tomorrow, tomorrow's Monday morning, remember, how can I on Monday morning show worship? If I want to have a life of fullness, Yes, I will be planted, I will meditate on his word, but the category I have to have as I consider fullness, blessing, happiness, is how can I worship God this week? Well, I, I think there's a few ways in which we can do that on a Monday morning. I think we can worship and honor Jesus as we honor him with our time and our money. You know, it's, it's amazing how our schedule and our pocketbook will, will reveal to us what our true worship is. And this week, my worship is a chicken coop. Because <laughs> that's what I'm building right now, right? Like, there, there's, a, there's a sense in which how I spend my money and use my time reveals where my allegiance is to. So this week, as you worship Jesus, 
will you, will you give him of your time and money? Will you read his word tomorrow morning? Will you go to the source of blessing? Will you leverage even your resources and your time to serve people in your community? Will you worship Jesus by leveraging that time and money so the gospel will go out in our Brainerd Lakes area this summer and to the ends of the earth? That's one way we can worship Jesus. But what about honoring him with our thoughts and our affections? What do you think about? What are you watching on YouTube? Judge Judy. What? Don't tell anyone I watch her. But, you know, I, I was even convicted as I was wrestling with how I use my time and where my thoughts and my affections go to through the week. I, I have to confess that oftentimes it seems that my thoughts and my affections are on everything but Christ. And then I wonder why I don't have a full life of blessing. I wonder why I'm struggling and I don't feel happy. And I think another way we can honor and worship Jesus this week is with our words. With our words. Will you assign to him credit that's deserved? So maybe the conversation tomorrow on a Monday morning looks like this. What's the number one question everyone asks on a Monday? How was your weekend? And let me give you some a good categories to how to leverage even your words to worship Jesus on a Monday morning. Matt, how was your weekend? Oh, praise God. It was great. I made some silly looking chicken coop and I watched the NBA finals on TV. Praise God. It was a great weekend. Because I don't have categories. Faithful followers of Christ don't have categories of sacred and secular. No, everything we do is sacred. Every area of my life is worship. So I'll praise him on Monday when I give good report of the coop in Boston winning game two. I'll praise him when I give good report of my family is doing well, or I had a chance to go on the lake, or play with the kids, or I still have a job. See, even with our words, we can assign him honor and worth. And that, my friends, is the secret to the blessing, to the happiness, to living for the fullness of another. Even our day-to-day words assign him worth and worship. God help us to live a life that seeks fullness and blessing, because it is a life that finds true happiness in Christ. And can I give you some good news, brothers and sisters, you may need it this morning. The good news is this. If you are a faithful follower of Christ, this is already true of your life. No, it may not be perfect, but if you are a faithful follower, God is shaping in you this kind of blessed life already, this full life. You are gradually more and more living in the fullness of another, the Savior. Jesus. And if you are here this morning and you are considering Christianity and like the Rolling Stones, you're saying, I can't get no satisfaction. But I've tried. 
or like the 21 pilots in your most honest, quiet, dark moments, you say, who can save me from my heavy, dirty soul? Turn to Christ. Turn to the one that satisfies. Turn to the fullness of another. Turn away from the empty life of self. And brothers and sisters, that is why we observe communion on the first Sunday of the month. I'll ask those who are serving communion to come forward at this time. Communion is a tangible, physical reminder. We just taught on this last week. Communion is a symbol of representation, a reminder that there is grace for you today. There's not just grace when you believe, but as we come to the table, we're reminded yet again that Christ died for us and rose again, that his body was broken, that his blood was shed, but we're also reminded of the great promise and the great commission. He says, I will be with you to the end of the age. And just as we considered last week in 1 Corinthians 10, there is a sense in which there is a participation taking place. As a believer, when you take communion, Christ is with you. This may be one of the most spiritual things that you do this week. Reminding yourself of the body that was broken, the blood that was shed, that grace and forgiveness is available in Christ. And not just grace and forgiveness, but this question of blessing and fullness, of satisfaction and joy. So if you are here and you have trusted in Christ, we encourage you to take this, to be reminded, participate with Christ in what he's done for you. If you are here and you haven't trusted in Christ or you have unrepentant sin in your life, allow this to go by. Allow this to be a tangible reminder that you need to get things right with God. Allow the observance of God's people coming together in unity to be the tangible reminder that you too need the body of Christ. You too need the promises of Christ. 